it's a collaborative approach. We're a team. We come into this as this isn't adversarial and we're going to stay in our lane and you guys stay in your lane, right? You're not going to tell us how to build it and I'm not going to tell you how to design it. But we need to come together because, hey, there's a design and you guys are looking, the goal is this and that's not achievable. Let's let's get on site. Let's see what that looks like because inevitably the, the end goal is that the designer is giving us that input. We're doing it as a team. There's no surprises. Nobody's walking in at the end going, well, that's not what I expected. So welcome to episode 84 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I am your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Heather Tankersley, who's the co-owner of Tankersley Construction located in Northern California. And Heather was super gracious to share a lot of her company structure. You know, she has a commercial background. She worked for a large commercial firm. Her husband did as well. Now they're in residential and how they've taken that mentality, those processes into residential design and construction. We speak about WIP, you know, work in progress and the billing aspect. We talk about accounting and of course, you know, just that pre-construction schedule with the clients and how they're setting those expectations and how they're delivering, how many times they're doing price checks as far as budget. So a lot of valuable info, just as far as that communication with the client, how to set those expectations. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have joining us the co-owner of Tankersley Construction, Heather Tankersley. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yes. And Heather, we want to bring her on. So she has a unique background. She's worked in commercial construction and now residential. So let's start there, Heather. When you think about your commercial background, did that give you an advantage as now you are working in residential? Oh, definitely. I think there's so many things coming from a commercial background like yourself, Brad. You know, you there's things that you bring to the table that, you know, you're guy in the truck isn't going to bring, right? You've got more um, knowledge, more experience, you've seen more things. And I think the client really appreciates it, right? I, I say, if you can work in a hospital, then I can work in your house, right? I mean, I, I understand negative error. I understand keeping things safe and keeping things clean. I love that you shared that because any of us that have worked commercial, you know, it's funny, I, I tell people residential is a little bit more of the Wild West in a way that when you think about construction, it's, you know, it's a little more casual in the sense of, some of the trade partners we work with and suppliers, right? Whereas commercial is a lot more formulated as far as, you know, they're bigger companies, they have bigger insurance premiums. You know, the company's a little bit more savvy with technology. Whereas in residential, I may have a trim guy that it's him and his son or him and his wife. And, you know, and that's really their operation. Whereas in commercial, there could be 400 employees at the trim company. So there's a huge and, and you know, a big stark difference between the two. Oh, definitely. And, you know, the the notion of, hey, the guy in the truck is going to be a little bit different than, you know, somebody with, you know, an architect and an engineer and a civil engineer, and you're sitting in an owner's meeting with, you know, 17 other people, right? I mean, owner's meetings now are, you know, maybe a husband, wife, and maybe the kid that wants them in, but it's, but it's a little bit different for all of us. Yeah. And I love the analogies you stated of negative error, like working in a hospital, because anyone that's worked in the medical side and, you know, previously my career, I worked in the hospital and how formulated it is, you know, when you have to go in and, you know, the sanitary side and how you're prepping the space, how much, you know, that can come into play. Now doing a remodel, right? If someone's living in their home for a remodel, you're going to be a lot more sensitive to, you know, dust and debris and leaving the site clean and tidy at the end of each workday. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, things that we take into consideration, you know, definitely comes from my background and Steve, my husband's background of, hey, what are we going to do that's going to set us up for success? And 
exposures and other things that we've done in our commercial past that we bring into residential that you know our competition isn't doing. So what was your background specifically, Heather? The the company you worked for, did Steve work there as well? Were you both at the same firm or were they both different commercial firms? No, we were both in different commercial firms. So he worked for um, a larger GC here in the Sacramento area, and I worked for a electrical contractor here in Sacramento. Um, we met, oh gosh, 12 years ago now. We were actually on a job site and, you know, the, the tell all of, you know, being the project interns and, hey, you know, you guys have a lot in common. You should go on a date and rest <laughs> is, is history here. So um, Steve's background is in uh, commercial construction worked for some of the bigger general contractors in uh, in our area. And I worked for um, a couple of larger electrical contractors here in uh, Northern California and um, did that for 12 years and hung up my hat uh, two years ago to, to, full, to join on full-time with a Tankersley. Um, I don't count, I say I do and I don't count the uh, first year of doing the books and the HR and everything at night while I'm trying to run, you know, $40 million in construction work and, you know, work for somebody else at the same time. That's amazing. So I was going to ask what, you know, enabled that transition or what, what made you and Steve say, we're ready to start our own company. We're going to go more residential. We have the commercial background. You know, what was that turning point, that tipping point? Um, for us, you know, we actually remodeled our own kitchen when our son was a baby. And we, you know, we kind of looked around and we're like, oh, you know, we could do this. So coming from, you know, Steve's a handy guy and he went through college working for, you know, some some local guys in the field and kind of jack of all trades. And he's like, I can remodel our own kitchen. And we did our own and it was definitely some learning curves, right? But there was just nobody in our area that was we felt comfortable that was going to do the project to the level of what we expected. And it was, it was always Steve's dream that he wanted to go and pursue getting his, um, his contractor's license. And I was very much like, yeah, you should do that. You should do that. And we had a young family we had, um our oldest son at the time. And he's like, no, I just don't know if it's now is a good time to start our business, but I'm going to study. So he got his license and, you know, things ended up shifting and we were actually pregnant with our second and he called me I remember I was headed to San Francisco kicking off a large two-year project in the city I was going to go work on and and he goes oh man he goes I got let go from my company and I said what and he goes yeah they, they're doing let goes and, and I, I got let I got let go I'm like oh my gosh uh, okay and he goes I'm going to do this I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I already have my contractor's license he'd been doing work for some friends on the side and he goes I think we can do this start the business and we were lucky that we had um, a good friend of ours that was a mentor that owns a, another company outside of our area about three hours away. And he said, hey, you know, I'll teach you what I know. So Steve went down there. He studied up and we started the business. I don't know if having a brand new baby and starting a business and, you know, having a, a two-year-old were, was a, a smart thing or a crazy thing at the time. But that's how we got to where we are now. And here we are four, year, four years down the road. And Looking back and going, wow, we did all that. This is great. It's amazing because so many entrepreneurs are forced into entrepreneurship, right? As you mentioned with you and your husband. And, you know, I can relate, you know, in my background. But, you know, as you start your company, you know, here you are, Steve, starting Takersley Construction. You're working, you know, you have your full-time job. You're working at night doing, you know, payables and accounts receivable and HR and everything else to help support the business. How did you start to build that pipeline, right? Where here you are, ground zero. Although you've had construction experience, 
you know, now we have to go do the hard part, business development. We have to secure work. You know, we have to figure out our process and, you know, deliver for the client and, and get trade partners and subcontractors that will now work for me. So I'll talk about that process as, as far as your strategy to get that, uh, that part going. Definitely. So for us, you know, we were in a pretty, um, a pretty tight knit community. So we definitely started putting some feelers out. We got really lucky in that a friend of ours just happened to, you know, not everybody can have this story, but people, you know, they call you and go, Hey, uh, my sister is house flooded and you know, she needs a whole gut done on her house. And you know, it's a hundred thousand dollar job, first job out of the gate. And we're like, Oh man. Okay. So Steve takes the job and, you know, we started um, networking in, you know, our local community. We joined NARI. We ended up, you know, really trying to build our business in our, our local community because we definitely saw a need there. And we really just started the ball rolling with what's the base principles that we know, right? Plans, specs, you know, what are our finishes and, and we're going to go build it. So we took very much the commercial approach of, what are our, our, our design documents, right? And in residential, you don't get that, right? You get a, hey, can you come bid my kitchen? And you go, okay, well, what are you going to do for counters? And what are you going to do for tile? And so as we built the business, we started implementing, we got on board really early with Build Trend just as a, um, hey, let's utilize this to keep track of time. And, you know, let's make a schedule. And oh, the client can see the schedule. Great. And we just started utilizing, we saw what that platform had to offer for us. So within the first six months of the company, we were up on builder trend. We were utilizing that to keep track of all of our design documents. You know, we had job site binders to track our construction contract changes. You know, we're doing red lines probably like way overkill in the beginning. So we were like coming from, you know, these, you know, 10 million, 40 million plus projects that were now like, okay, you know, uh, Jack and Jane don't necessarily need to know all your red lines of what circuit you brought this from and, and those kind of things. But we, uh, we took that and just built upon it to really create our process and moving into pre-construction and what does pre-construction look like and how do we go through from, a client who calls us and says, hey, I, I have an addition I want to do, but I don't know where to start. Great. We have a process for that, right? Let's get you on board. Let's get the architect on board and we'll get the engineer and we'll get the designer and we start planning all these things down the pipeline. I love that. I love that you went this route because that is one of the biggest issues in residential construction is we have clients, right? Whether they're living at home or they have their dream project and they want us to get started, but it does a big disservice to the client and ourselves if we don't have the design specifications and the architectural plans and the red lines and the RFIs that you mentioned, right? If we don't have all this information in an organized manner, it's going to create inefficiencies for us as a builder, right? To finish an appropriate timeline and, you know, within budget and all these things that are key to the client. So speak about that pre-construction process because you're fighting something, you're fighting the industry essentially of we're going to take this commercial mentality, we're going to bring in residential, you know, and, and we all know that successful residential projects are, are due to that pre-construction process. So what does that process look like? If I were a client to call you, Heather, and say, I want you to do the remodel my kitchen, and you're going to start asking those questions. Do you have architects involved? Do you have designers involved? Are you managing that design process? Yeah. So if you called and you, you know, hey, I, I don't even know where to start, right? I want to do my kitchen. So the first thing that we do is we have an initial phone call with the client and introduction. Tell us about your project. 
what are your goals, right? What are you looking for? Are you a good fit? You know, are we a good fit for you? And are you a good fit for us, right? And that's where we'll introduce the process. So, you know, we'll lay, lay out the next steps. So they said, great, you know what? TCI, I want to hire you. I want you to do my kitchen remodel. First thing we would do is we would have a kickoff meeting. From that meeting, we would bring in, we're not a design uh, build company. I say we're design build or design assist. We don't do design in-house. So we don't have in-house design. I am not a designer. Everybody likes to think because we're husband, wife team. I'm, you know, Chip and Joanna and all that stuff. No, trust me. Nobody wants to see what I would put together. So it, we really will bring in the right fit. The client has to go through the pre-construction process in order for them to be a client of TCI. With that, we'll kind of sense what their style is. We work with a bunch of designers locally here. So we'll figure out who's going to be a good fit, introduce that designer to the client, make sure that they're a good fit together. We'll then hold a kickoff meeting. And in that kickoff meeting, we'll lay out, you know, the client's hopes, desires, dreams. We'll talk about, you know, initial budget of what they want to spend on a job because I think, as you know, everybody has a budget and that's always trying to be respectful of that and kind of get some inspiration from the client, what they're looking for, what styles do they like, those kind of things. From there, we'll generate a floor plan. The floor plan generation will be the designer's deliverable to bring. So designer or architect, depending on scale, size of project. With that floor plan though, say we're looking at clients like, hey, I want to remove this wall. We'll go in, we'll cut some holes in the drywall, we'll work with structural, we'll give some input so that we're not designing in a bubble and what we're actually designing, we can reasonably go build for the client's budget. So, you know, I always joke with the clients, I'm like, well, if you're going to let us cut some holes in the sheetrock, you're committed to using us. I mean, if not, we'll come back and touch the hole, but we'll do some digging, generate the floor plan, client will review the floor plan, we'll update elevations, we'll start looking at some cabinets, where things are going to lay out. From that, we do a 50% design check-in budget. So that is something that once the client gives us the okay, yeah, floor plan's good, elevations are good, we give them a budget update. The goal in that is to be able to look at, hey, this is where we're going. This is what we have allocated for allowances for our finishes. Is this still in line with what we have talked about for budget? The goal with that is that we get the yay or we get the nay. So that at that point, if we need to scale back, we scale back, right? Maybe we're not going for, you know, a crazy, you know, full slab backsplash, or maybe we're going to switch gears and we're going to go to tile, or we're going to pivot the design to make sure we're still within budget. That gives the designer some parameters of, hey, we're going to go pick finishes. This is what we've had allocated. Let's make sure we're staying within these parameters for the client. I hate getting to the end, sending a client a proposal and them just going, oh my gosh, I fell in love with this and I can't afford this or I can't afford to pay you to go build this for me. Like now their hopes and dreams are crushed and we just look like bad guys. So as we move through all the design selections, our goal and our jobs at TCIs, we're the facilitators. We're the ones, who's the next deliverable? What decisions do we need? Designer. We need these selections from you and we need these finishes, okay? Client, you know, this is what the designer's given you. You know, you have X amount of days or a week, whatnot. Let's keep the process moving. So once we have all those finishes selected, we will then go ahead and we'll generate the final proposal for the client. For us, we like to have everything designed, spec'd, paint color, cabinet hardware, all these things already laid out, subscopes generated. We've walked the site with our subs. We've had a site meeting. We've reviewed all the final design documents. 
and then we're presenting that to the client so that when we're done, we have they've paid us for this service to generate their full construction package. And then, you know, say they decide, you know what, this is more than our budget. We need to table this. They have a deliverable. They have something that, you know, they can come back and, you know, hey, you know what, I'm going to go get three bids. Our goal is obviously that by this point, we've had a relationship with a client and, you know, they're ready to go. They're, you know, Heather and Steve, we love your team. We can't wait to start. Let's go and do this. I love that. That's very extensive. So when you're thinking about that overall process, you know, from the budget checks and, the selections and of course, cutting in a drywall to see what structural components are there and living there. You're going to have to deal with, you know, what's that time frame? Are you setting that time frame for the client of pre-construction? Is this a three month process, an eight month? Yeah. So really it depends on the scale of the job. Like, you know, depending, you know, are we doing a whole house? Are we doing a kitchen, right? Are we doing, you know, an addition? It really varies. If you're saying, Hey, I got a kitchen, you know, I would say start to finish reasonably so that the client isn't overwhelmed by choices and we're managing that i would say the quickest i could get you through that would be eight weeks right obviously scaling that appropriately given other deliverables from you know structural engineer to you know we got to get trust packages generated right if we're doing an addition or a whole house then obviously that that scale grows but i always say it's how quickly then can the client make decisions but the fastest that i could do that would be on a, on a basic kitchen would be eight weeks. No, that's a good time frame. And so when, when you're doing a remodel and say it's just a kitchen, you have eight weeks of pre-construction and then are you strategically sequencing the build as far as, okay, you know, we need to order cabinets, you know, here's the eight weeks we decide on the cabinetry, you know, but the cabinetry is a 12 week lead time. So we don't want to demo for eight weeks, right? Because another eight weeks, because in that way, hopefully the cabinetry come in and the house isn't in dormant. I mean, how do you factor in the actual start date with the client to set that expectation? Yeah. So part of it and right now is the challenge too, like everybody else, it's everything is crazy, right? And we're backing into holding start dates and making sure that we're, we're ready and we can deliver that. And yeah, we're not demoing somebody's house and then, yeah, okay, we'll be back in six weeks, right? So for us, we really try to hone in and use a pull schedule, very much a commercial practice that we have brought and we've implemented with our team and our trade partners that we work with. So for us, we really look at, okay, cabinet guy, what's your lead time? How long, you know, plumber, do you need to do your relocation for plumbing, right? And what do you need for infrastructure, right? Do we need to sock up the slab? Are we pouring a new slab? Are we doing an addition? So we really utilize um, when our subtrades see the job and they bid the project, we're backing in with what they need for durations to, you know, from rough to finish and then sequencing the job accordingly. And, you know, we'll tell clients, you know, hey, especially right now, hey, we, we're going to push your start date two weeks because we've ordered cabinets or windows or doors. Right now, it's so hard to tell with the climate of the industry. Hey, you know what? We don't feel like it's going to be fair to you. We're going to have this huge gap in the schedule. We're going to bring that in. We're going to move your start date to this. And we just be, we're very upfront with the client about why we do this and the sequence that we do it in and, um, and really utilize our trade partners to make sure we're sequencing those things correctly. So what's fascinating is you are using the pool schedule, the pool plan, which we do as well, yep. um, which is not super common in residential, you know, especially commercial it is when you're doing sequencing and, you know, very complicated commercial builds and vertical construction so with how how's that received by your subcontractor and trade partner base? You know, have they been a fan of it? Have they seen the value? How have you trained them? Because we've seen 
as we've had these meetings, it's the first time our subcontractors ever been in one. So, you know, how's that been received? It's been received great. We have a really great group of trade partners that we work with. We've got, you know, a couple plumbers, a couple electricians, you know, you've got your core group that you've, you've honed in that, you know, we know that can keep up with the pace of how we want to build, the quality that we build, and our scheduling. And our, our subs appreciate that because they know, hey, if we're going to set this date, we're going to hold to that. And it's not, okay, I'm going to have you come back and you're going to do half of this work and then you're going to do half of this. And, oh, yeah, I still need you to come back to finish this here. They're not making multiple trips. And they're, um, it's an efficient build for them as well as it is for us to be able to give the client a, a product in a timely manner. And inevitably, there's always things, right? Like everyone wants their post-it note. If you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the lovely post-it note scheme of post-scheduling, right? Everyone wants their post-it note the same and you got to duke it out for whose post-it note goes where. I love that. I love the post-it notes, you know, in the war room and then you implement, um, you know, the, those post-it notes into build a trend, which is awesome and very similar to what we're doing, which is super valuable. So going back to that, Heather, when you think about if I was a client and I'm calling you and we're going to have you do our remodel, our kitchen, our project, you know, do you have PSA agreements, you know, the personal service agreements as far as we're going to do a deposit to cover your costs and time. So that way you and Steve aren't spending all this time with the client. How are you managing that expectation to cover your costs uh, through design and pre-construction? Yeah. You know, we have, like I said, that initial phone call where we do, you know, we do a Zoom meet and greet with the client, you know, assuming they're a a good qualified lead. It's a, a job that, you know, is going to be realistic budget, realistic time frame. You know, we have a our construction coordinator is the first phone call once you come in as a lead, right? And she will interview the client, make sure that, hey, yeah, this is a good job. This is going to be something that we want to do. Then they get on Steve's calendar. And from that, we have a very realistic expectation with the client. And we, we're up front. We do a lot of homework on the back end of making sure that we can go build your project. And I've never had a client that's ever come back and has not seen a value in the service that we bring. We dig down into everything before we even get the trade partners out there. And they recognize the time that we put in when we have a sub trade walk. And, you know, there's eight, nine, 10 guys that are through, you know, a sub trade walk in a four hour window that, you know, we're down to, hey, are we going to have enough power in your kitchen? Hey, we're going to go blow out the back half and we're going to add 1600 square feet. And you know what, this overhead service is going to have to move. And, oh yeah, by the way, like, are we at grade? We're going to need a sewer ejector pump on this side over here. So the client sees what we bring to the table and just a constructability review. We've had clients that have come organically that will have nothing and we've helped them generate construction drawings. And we've had clients who've come with full sets of drawings and said, well, why do I need to pay for this? I already have construction drawings. And that's when we'll come back and say, well, you know, our time to review this is is our time. You know, do you think it's reasonable for us to be paid for our time? And I've never had a client who hasn't gotten a value from that or see what we bring to the table. Because inevitably, like, you know, we're it's something that's generated by humans that's put together. And somebody might look at something one way. And when you actually go out there, it's like, well, what about this existing condition? Did anybody talk about that? Oh, no, we totally missed that. Oh, my gosh. Now what are we going to do? So... Yeah, it's a super tough process, you know, trying to balance, you know, all of that and see into the future, if you will. So that, you know, coming back to the point you made earlier, it sounds like in that pre-construction process, you have multiple data points or um, realistic 
expectations as far as budget, you know, so how does that transform if I were to call you today and are you, are you given a preliminary budget then as you, you know, get through plans and floor plan and elevations and reflected ceiling plans and then design, you're updating that budget, you know, so when, when do you give the first budget and then how does that transform throughout the process? So we give the first budget after floor plan generation and cabinet elevations are generated. Um, and with that, we'll, we'll give that to the client and we'll say this, you know, this is your first initial budget that will typically already have some of our hard costs for, you know, lumber and framing and roof and trusses and kind of the bigger deliverable items. If you want to call it the allowances that would still be included in that would be, you know, down to your plumbing fixtures and your countertops and your tile and your flooring. And, you know, and with that, we'll have a discussion with the client. When we send that proposal, we'll ask to have a review meeting with them ask them to look over it, you know, does this seem reasonable, you know, where we're giving you an allowance for, you know, plumbing fixtures of X amount of dollars, right? Given that we have so many faucets, so many sinks, so many toilets, right? So we're upfront with those things so that the client then is prepared and looking at this and, and saying, okay, I understand this is what we're going to, the designer is going to show me something that's within my budget. And the expectation is I'm going to stay in that budget. I always joke as being part of the pre-construction process, which we ask our, our project managers to be a part of and help facilitate when we get to a point where the client goes, oh my gosh, I saw this great thing and this tiles, you know, $27 of square foot or something. It's like something crazy. I joke. I'm like, okay, that's when we're, we're the killer of dreams, right? I'm like, this is where we get, we have that discussion where you say, hey, I can do anything, but you're going to implode your budget, right? Let, let's talk about that. And maybe that's the response from the client is, oh, you know what? I love it. I'm good with it. We're going to go with it. And maybe the, the response is, oh, no, okay, all right, thanks for keeping me in check. So it's a two-way street, and I like to just be upfront with that because I, I hate that awkward conversation at the end when they just get something and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is hundreds of thousands of dollars more than what we have to expend, right? And then we have this discussion. We'll remember we added this and this and this and this, and they go, oh, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, then this makes sense. I understand, right? But the goal—the goal is—is is not to have that conversation at the end. It's these little things that are going to add up, and we we keep note of that, and we keep an open dialogue about that. I, I love that analogy, the killer of dreams, which unfortunately we tend to do that, right? <laughs> my, my clients and my kids—I swear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. But you know, the value by by giving a preliminary budget, you know, you're setting a data point, and although that preliminary budget is is going to change, it's going to vary. I mean, look. Lumber's change, you know, COVID has affected a lot of our material pricing, but the advantage you have a starting point. And so from understanding what you're explaining is that, you know, if I can put together a budget of allowances for appliances, let's say, let's say their, their budget's 40,000 for all their appliances and they go and they select the appliances and they come in at 48,000. Well, it's an easy conversation to say, look, either, you know, you keep all these appliances and we increase the budget to 48,000. So it's a known quantity or we VE or we make some changes, right? We value engineer and then we bring that down within budget. So the client's having these consistent data checks throughout the process. Definitely. Yeah. And just keeping that, you know, and, we, and we're upfront about those things, right? Where it's, you know, hey, this is where it came in at. Let's have this conversation, you know, let's talk about it and and seeing is there something else we can VE and, and keeping that open dialogue. I agree. This episode is brought to you by Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove for over 75 years, Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove has specialized in refrigeration, cooking, and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes. 
At AFT Construction, we look forward to crafting our clients' dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams. To get this process started, we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment. It's that easy. Since Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove specializes in three major categories, we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop. The first one is that Sub-Zero handles refrigeration. They are the preservation specialist. Key features included fresher, longer dual refrigeration, advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls, and easy-to-use technology. Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your near Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom or click the link in our show notes below. Now we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. So how often do your clients use the owner portal? I mean, you're setting that up in Build-A-Trend. Are they pretty savvy, most of your clients? Are they accessing that? Are they relying on you? I know Remodel's a little bit more in-depth as far as clients are visiting there or living there. And so they're, they're pretty you know, in tune of what's happening. Yeah, I would say, you know, our definitely our our clients are very versed in it. We try to we I don't want to say uh, strong arm them into it, but we definitely make them, you know, access it. We, you know, we talk about that at the first meeting. Hey, are you on Builder Trend? Do you need help logging in? Let's get you in there, right? Because for us, we we make the client go through. We put, you know, the designer will present, you know, maybe your your finishes with your countertops and your sinks, and you'll go pick your faucets everything goes through and we do an, an approval of those through builder trends. So you got to do the selections, you have to approve the, the fixtures, you got to approve the sconces, you know, all the things that are in there, all the finished schedules, we require that the clients sign off on those through builder trend. 
it's a cost check for the client, right? This is what the designer presented you. You're agreeing. That's what we're using is our check to make sure that the client sees that, you know, we got the nice pretty picture and the link to the item and all those kind of things. And it's also good for us because that's how we track all of our ordering, right? We order straight from that. Our vendors are in it. Our vendors know, hey, things get approved. They price it in there. We release it to them. That's how we track all of our shipments. You know, when items come in, when they get to our warehouse, when they get to the site. And we make the client really utilize that. We have some clients that are doing, you know, remodels and they're not living there. So they like that. We have a client that's doing a, a new build and they're three hours away. And so we, I joke with them. It's like, you know, the only time they see their site is on the daily logs. So they really, really, really like that aspect of it. So I have not, um, I haven't really had any client that has not wanted to be a part of that. And really for us, they value being able to have this resource and this glimpse as to what's going on in, in their project and where, where things are going and where things going to be done. I love that. And, and you mentioned earlier, you work with many different designers. So what do designers have to do to work with Tankersley Construction? You know, what is the, the value they bring or how, you know, is that relationship enhanced, you know, through the, the talent of the designer or their communication process? You know, what is the pros of the designers and why you work with them? Yeah. So for us, you know, um, given our commercial background, we're both really used to working with, with an architect, right. And having, you know, elevations set and having heights for cabinetry or framing and, and just, you know, looking at a commercial set of plans is, is our background. So for us, you know, on a basic kitchen remodel, are you going to have a are you, are you going to have an architect? No, right? I mean, yeah, you're going to get drawings from an architect for a build, but you might not get all the finishes. You might not get down to all the countertop pieces. And, you know, there might not be um, as much detail from a set of house plans, depending on the architect. So for us, we like to, um, we've really built a network in our area, just kind of talking to some of the, the designers here and what they how they like to sequence their work, what they can do, what's a pain point for them and what's a pain point for us. So for us, you know, if you want to come work with us and designers love this is that we're like, Hey, let's get everything picked. Right. Let's do it all right now. Right. They're like, yeah, that's great because their portion of the project, you know, probably 90% of it minus some construction input of the existing conditions or something that maybe in the field isn't constructible, they're done. They're like, great, awesome. I can keep moving, right? I got my package done. But they also like the aspect that we bring from, it's a collaborative approach. We're a team. We come into this as, this is an adversarial and we're going to stay in our lane and you guys stay in your lane, right? You're not going to tell us how to build it. And I'm not going to tell you how to design it, but we need to come together because, Hey, there's a design and you guys are looking, the goal is this, and that's not achievable. Let's, let's get on site. Let's see what that looks like. How do we lay that out? How do we get this tile wrapped hood to look correctly with these cabinets? And how are we going to make this look nice? And how are we going to lay out these, you know, there's some framing issues that we've had. And now this wooden set of windows is going to look slightly different and we need to make sure the casing is still going to fit. So all these things that are, we as builders, we don't, we don't want to make the call on because inevitably the, the end goal is that the designer is giving us that input and we're doing it as a team and there's no surprises. Nobody's walking in at the end going, well, that's not what I expected. Yeah. Well, it's difficult because you have the expectation of you as the builder of what things will look like the 
designer has their understanding, the client has theirs. How do you, you know, document the process in the field to make sure the trade partners are executing the appropriate design, the correct design, you know, to, to finalize the actual vision of everyone involved? Oh, totally. Right. I mean, that's, that's a challenge always, you know, we have a, we have a set of plans on site. We have job site binders um, that have every, you know, spec sheet, cut sheet, you know, design board in it. And I mean, we're, we're back to red line, you know, on a binder. And then it also lives in builder trends. We have a set of as built, um, you know, drawings that live in builder trend that they can access as well that they can see. And so, you know, a lot of it is, um, a lot of documentation, a lot of conversations, right? Hey, let's let's lay this out. Let's mark this up. Make sure everybody's clear, getting everybody on board. So, I mean, that's always a challenge, always. Oh, it is. And, you know, when you think about just the implementation, you know, we put, a, uh, you know, most of our documentation as well online, whether it be Dropbox or Builder Trim. Are your mm-hmm. trade partners savvy? Not say they're not savvy, but do they use it or are they more prone to look at the job side binders and how you're managing things in the field. Yeah, I think most, you know, we we lean on them really hard to, to utilize builder trend. I think a lot of them, um, for the most part, are like, hey, I like I like this piece of paper on site. It makes me feel good, right? And so inevitably, you know, our responsibility as our project managers will say, you know, we'll come out, we'll have the iPad up, you know, we're, we're scrolling through, we're making sure, you know, what's on site matches what's on our as belt and that we're not missing anything that's within that. But, you know, those finished schedules getting updated, elevation drawings getting updated, right? Any existing conditions, right? Hey, what did we set the elevation at for this vanity given that, you know, we got the subfloor and we got the tile thickness and and where did, how did we get to that decision, right? So who's setting up the job site binders and what do they entail? So our construction coordinator um, is responsible for that with the PM's review. Everything in our job site binders include um, a copy of our, our base contract. So if there's any questions for, you know, our self-perform workers that, you know, they can look back and see what's TCI scope that we're self-performing. It includes all of the spec sheets and cut sheets for all of, like I mentioned, plumbing fixtures, um, light fixtures, you know, set of drawings, design documents, specs on windows, doors, trim details, uh, baseboard styles. I mean, inevitably it's everything that you should need in order to go build the project that we have. I love that. And then how does that work as far as your management process? You mentioned you have a coordinator, you have a project manager. I mean, what, you know, who, whose role is what part of pre-construction and what part of the build and how do you manage that handoff? Yeah, so uh, the project manager and um, and Steve, who handles all of our estimating and the pre-construction side, they're responsible for making sure that we get through pre-construction. The PM, inevitably, is we would like to be involved, you know, day one, obviously, given depending how many jobs that project manager has in active construction, um, that project manager will plug in as soon as available. The goal is that they're already familiar with the client and the project by drop dead is like sub trade walk, right? Cause you got to be out there walking it with the sub trades to make sure when it comes time to go build, you're familiar with what we talked about and what's going on and the, the goal of the project. The construction coordinator manages all of the um, material procurements, um, making sure we have all the, the finished selections are in builder trend. The client has signed them off. All that documentation is handed off to the project manager. They're the final review. The project manager is responsible with making sure the onsite binder is up to date, the job files up to date, you know, they can lean on the construction coordinator for 
you know, any details or items that might need to be updated or hunted down or, hey, were we mounting this door hardware, you know, on this cabinet profile? Like, have we talked about that? So, you know, they really like to utilize the construction coordinator to do that. But um, for the most part, it's the responsibility of our project managers. Well, and I know it varies with scope, you know, how big the project is, the complexity, you know, as far as the field management, is there, is there a superintendent or is there a project manager? Are they running one project, two, three? Yeah, so we have a production manager. Um, so the production manager in our company, he oversees um, our carpenters in the field, um, as well as oversees the project managers. His responsibility is making sure that you know, constructability, you know, no constructability concerns, quality product, safety environment. Um, you know, it's his responsibility to, you know, visit all the sites um, and keep up with what we're subperforming as well as QC subcontractor work. Um, the project manager is also responsible for going to the job site, you know, three, four times a week, checking in, you know, meeting the sub trade on his first day out on site to make sure that they're clear on, you know, maybe a change that took place or some added scope or, Hey, we got to look at this condition that's over here because of whatnot. Right. So between the two, um, the project manager and our production manager, they're both on a uh, responsibility for the oversight of the job. The project manager handles more of the execution of purchase orders and, you know, approving their invoices and the budget and the dollars. So how do you manage that when there's change orders, you know, when a client comes in and, you know, you're, you're working through construction They say, you know what, Heather or Tankersley, you know, TCI, what, we're going to make these changes. You know, are you trying to price on the spot or are you having to sign a, uh, you know, a, you know, a pre-construction, not pre-construction, but as far as like a change order document to say, we're going to do this change. It's approved. I mean, how do you manage that aspect? Yeah. I mean, our expectation with the, the client and, you know, our discussion is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what the goal is, right? What's the change? Hey, we'll get you a price. Our expectation from our project managers and how we run our work is that we price it, approve it, and then go do it, right? This uh, let's go do it and then, oh, it's going to cost us X or whatnot. I mean, we anything that's a scope change, we send as a change order, right? Whether it has cost associated with it or not. But coming from that commercial background and just knowing you have to document what work you put in place, like what happens if there's a water leak and you didn't even touch that wall, but now you're getting sued. Like, you know, how do you document that? Right. I mean, it might not cost you anything, but just to type it up and send it in as, Hey, it's a zero dollar change. We took care of that for you client because you know, it wasn't that big a deal. And our guy was there and you know, we're going to do you a solid, right. You need to make sure that you have that accounted for. And then the things that you do end up charging for as well, that maybe are outside of scope or the client wants change. We document that. Well, I love that you're documenting that. It's so valuable for the client, that organization. And, you know, it's funny, you talked about, you know, the production managers making sure the site is safe. And, you know, going back to the commercial mentality, you know, you go on a commercial job site, you have to have your safety glasses and boots and pants and, you know, your vest. I mean, all this stuff, whereas residential, they're showing up in shorts and t-shirts. So it's a little bit different process. But, you know, one of the most important parts of our business is the accounting side, you know, WIP you know, the, the work in progress, which is a huge challenge that most contractors struggle with. So how do you manage the whip? How do you manage that to understand, okay, are we, we had a contract, we had a value here. Are we on target? Are we going to be profitable? How do you manage the, the, the whip process of each project? I'm in charge of all the operations and accounting side. 
the budgets that are initiated and generated at the start of the project, I will review those with the project manager. It's the project manager's job to generate the budget for their job from the estimates. Um, we'll review that and we'll set the baseline budget. Then monthly, the it's a, a process actually implemented from a, a previous employer, we'll do a, a cost to complete or a WIP review. So monthly, I sit down with the project managers. The expectation is their jobs that they're running, they we come, we sit down, we look at the budget, and they come with what's left for, we call it a CTC or a cost to complete. So the expectation is they're coming and they're giving me a breakdown of what we have left to perform for self-performed labor, what do we have left to buy for materials, sub-cost, equipment, um, and any incidental costs that we might foresee. So that we're then going through and we're reviewing, hey, what did we say this job was going to start at? And what was our, our baseline budget? What were we expecting to make? And what are we going to project? And then from that, I will then use that to implement our WIP and our work in progress and tracking where we're at with you know, job profit and expenses and making sure that we're, we're generating and doing that on a monthly basis. Which is super valuable. And I think most companies don't do this enough. You know, I know in the beginning of our firm, we did not do it enough. As we do now, mm -hmm. we're, we're a lot more, I would say, precise as far as managing that. Because in the beginning, you set maybe an indicated outcome, right? You have, when, when you break ground, you kind of have an idea, okay, it's going to cost this much supervision and labor of my coordinator, my superintendent, my project manager. So we have that indicated outcome. And then we track that through WIP throughout the process to say, you know, especially when we're looking back in our database, because we have some projects where I need to do a better job vetting the clients because they're consuming all the time of each of my coordinators and superintendents. And whereas some other projects are moving, you know, seamlessly. Definitely. Job costing is so, so important. I mean, if you're not already set up to job costs, you got a job cost because how are you going to be able to have that historical data to look at that and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to go bid this job. And it's just like that job I already did. Well, how do you know if that was a good job for you? Like, did you make money on that job? Who knows? If you're not job costing and tracking that, knowing, hey, this is where we started and this is where we finished. Are we even close? Like, there's just no way you're taking a shot in the dark. Or that evaluation, when you're maybe... 20% into the project, you know, your first you know, month or two in, hey, where are we at on the job? Like, are we going to make money on this? Who knows? But we need to make sure we're clear on that. So going forward, we're not just doing favors, right? Death by a thousand cuts. Maybe, oh, we'll just take care of that little thing. We'll take care of that. And then all of a sudden your margins completely slipped. How do you know that you got to track the costs? I love that you shared that, Heather, because that that is the biggest thing is so many times we've done a project we have that on a resume and then we're like, yeah, this one is in line. We've done that. Let's move forward. But was that project profitable? You know, were we successful in the job costing? And as you mentioned, the death by a thousand cuts, all these little ads that we do, are we, are we doing these as, you know, an incentive for the client, for us, you know, for that relationship? Are we charging them? And, you know, it's really important because, you know, when you look back in your database, it's really easy to say, okay, my lumber change. Well, that's understanding based on the current climate, but, you know, on the, some of the hard costs like appliances, you know, how is this changing? How is this evolving? What are we budgeting in the future? So, you know, from a job costing, how often do you audit the end of the project with the production manager and the project manager to say, okay, we had our indicated outcome. We did our whip. How has that changed over time? Where are we at now? Uh, we do it at the end of every project. So at the end of every project, we will review that with the project manager. We do monthly team meetings as well. And so typically for us, by the time we get to a monthly meeting, we've had a couple jobs that have closed. And so 
we'll we'll do it on a granular level with the budget with the pm and the production manager and then we'll do it from a more um higher level with the field team right so we'll come in we'll do we like to call it plus delta so it's not a negative right it's what will we change and so the question then then is hey what do what do you think team that we did good and what could we improve upon next time right maybe it's hey you know what that layout when we had a rough inspection and we all came in and we did a QC and we caught XYZ like that worked out great. Let's do that on the next job. That's how we're a lot of our policies and procedures and, and cross checks that we've done have come into play because we're talking about that as a team. We're not, um, we're not building in a bubble. Right? And absolutely. I wish we were building a bubble and make things a little bit easier in, in construction. <laughs> yes. You know, a tough industry. So do your clients prefer lump sum? Or are you uh, cost plus, you know, how does that vary for each of the contracts? We're lump sum all the way. Cost plus, I hats off to you if you do cost plus. I just, I don't know. It's like time and material. I, I mean, I did it back in my day and you never can capture all the time. I swear. It's just, it's inevitable. I just, no, give me the lump sum all day. Now, that's interesting because especially if you're dabbling in the remodel world, it can be very difficult doing a lump sum because there's so many unknowns, even as much as you try to prepare. So how do you manage that process if there are unknowns or you open a wall and there's something you didn't factor is, is there opportunity with the client to, you know, to cover some of those costs that are, that you find out about? Oh, definitely. I mean, that goes back to that, just being open, being honest, you know, and, and setting those expectations. Hey, this is what we anticipate. This is what we think is here. But, you know, again, we don't have x-ray vision. I can't, I can't foresee if your subfloor is going to be adequate to lay your new flooring on. Right. I mean, that's something inevitably I, I can't, see and and just being up front as soon as there's anything that we see that's like that you know our sub trade partners know and you know our guys in the field know if there's something we open a wall and it's like oh man there's a vent pipe running through here we can't put that there then that's you know that's instantly that's a phone you know phone call to the pm you know in the production manager what do we have going on here let's get a game plan you know, what's it going to cost to, to move that or to fix that or, or do we have to regroup and, and getting a game plan and then just going to the client up front once we discover that and said, hey, we ran into this. This is what we found. And this is our solution. Or this is what we're going to have to do. And then that's when we have that discussion of it's going to cost X, Y, Z or, you know, hey, we can mitigate that and it's actually not going to be a problem. And then that's where that, you know, zero dollar change order of, hey, you know what? The plumber said he could take care of it. He's got to move that vent line anyway. You know, I'll document it. So then, you know, in the end too, when they come back and go, oh my God, we spent how much money or, or whatnot. There's always those little, those little things that you, you look back and go, yeah, but remember we took care of that for you and we took care of that. And, you know, inevitably it's goodwill. I love that you do the goodwill, you know, the $0 change orders. And that's something we have, we have implemented as well that we do, you know, to say, you know, there, there may be things that we cover that aren't a big cost, but we want to make the client aware so that there is that emotional bank account we're feeling, right? Come the end of the project. hundred percent, right? It just adds you some goodwill when there's something down the road that, hey, maybe, you know, this is remodeling, this is construction. Maybe there is something that goes wrong and it's like, oh man, like we screwed up on that one, right? And maybe that blow comes a, a little less, uh, you know, harsh to them. Oh, there will definitely be some things that go wrong in our business. I mean, they always do oh. on every project. Even as much 100%. as we try, yeah, as much as we try to be precise, it does happen. I know nobody sh nobody shows that on Instagram. Come on, <laughs> no one wants to show. Yeah, all the blisters of of the construction world. But you know, so do you ever get pushback from the clients on 
a remodel in your market that it's not cost plus, whereas some markets, you know, are more dictated to a cost plus market? No, we haven't had any pushback on that more so than anything. Our clients, I think, are better. Most of our clients, we we do a good job of educating um, and really kind of looking at them from a realistic aspect. If we need to send, you know, we send a lump sum and they say, hey, you know, we want to see what this breakdown is for, you know, what's it going to cost me for counters? Okay, I'll tell you what it's going to cost you for counters. You know, it's, I don't want to get into, let's go through and nitpick every single piece because that's not successful for anybody. It, it doesn't, um, it doesn't get us to our end goal. And it's just having that expectation of, you know, what do you try, you know, what, what's your goal? What, what's your goal in, in finding that or, you know, or, or discovering that and, and really kind of putting it back to the client of how is that going to help you with your decision to move forward? I love that. And then as far as deposits and, and billing goes, are you billing once a month? You know, a typical AIA doc, are you um, asking for deposits or material deposits so you're not fronting or front loading, you know, the, the project yourself? So we actually, we actually bill weekly, which I've, everybody's like, oh my gosh, you bill weekly. Holy cow. It's a lot of work. I actually love that. I love that by the way. Uh, do you, I, it's so funny because I've talked to other people and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so much work. But yeah, I mean, to that point, and we do progress billing, we, you know, we do it by, you know, 16 division trade, you know, demo flooring, plumbing. We use that as the base parameters and then we bill against what we're at for percentage complete. What we like about it is one, we're not at a lot of upfront cost. Um, we bill, if we ordered windows that week, we bill for windows, right? And we have that discussion with the client. Yes, there are no windows installed yet. Yes, we are six months from putting in your windows, right? And hopefully not that long, but Yes, we had to buy, but we got to order them, right? Especially right now. So we'll have those discussions. I think it also gets some stake in the game for the client, right? They're they're paying for the materials up front. We're not out the cost, but we're also not progress billing things that work work we haven't put in place. So there's less risk on our say, say, should something happen and we have to pull off. There's not money that we're holding that's the client's. And then there's not money that we're waiting to get from the clients from work that we put in place. We are very upfront with our clients. We bill on Thursday. The expectation is we're paid Friday. Have I ever, you know, and if they don't, we don't show up Monday. That's what our contract says. Have I ever had to like tell somebody no? Have I had to give them a slight nudge by the time it's next Thursday? Of course. But, um, you know, we haven't had any issues with clients not being respectful of that. I love that. I mean, when you think about the remodel world, it's such a more difficult process to manage. Things are moving quickly. You're installing quickly. You know, a large custom home, it's economies of scale, right? It's a bigger, you know, the framers are going to maybe take three months on a custom home. Whereas they may be in there three days on a remodel. And so, you know, to, to advance and do once a month is tough. There was a, a remodel contractor that I, uh, here in town that I network with, and he's similar to you in the sense, but you know, his, his formula is a little different. What he does, he says, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar remodel and it's going to take me 10 weeks just for easy math here. You know, what he does is he said, there's 10 payments, 10 payments of 10 grand and he bills every Friday. And so every Friday they, they wire the 10 grand and then, you know, if they if if they don't wire it, then yeah, he has a clause in his contract that yeah, he won't show up Monday, as as you mentioned. And then he also has a clause that if there's like three consecutive days that no one's on site, they don't have to pay that week, or you know, which is a little more general because you know it's a little tough to manage ten even payments. Whereas you know, construction, as you mentioned, whip and job costing, it it varies. You can't just do a flat fee, but you know, your process is good billing every week because then it keeps you protected on these projects that are are very quick moving. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we have clients that, you know, same where we've got, you know, a whole house edition that, you know, the framers are there for three weeks and maybe, maybe the billing is that week is, you know, much smaller because it's spread out over that longer period of time based off of 
you know, the labor to go frame because we've already paid for all the lumber materials. But it gives us a little bit more insulation and again, expectations to the client, right? And the client sees that we're there and we're sees that we're working. Well, this has been amazing. I mean, Heather, you, you have such a refined process. It's, it's great to hear another contractor with that commercial mentality, bringing in a residential and, and some of the processes you put in place, you know, so what's upcoming and exciting for uh, TCI? Oh man. Well, right now our, our pre-com board is crazy. I think like everybody else, we're so excited for just this, this backlog of really good, exciting projects that are coming up. Um, we got a cool ground build that's coming up uh, next year with a, an architect that we're excited to work with and a new designer that we're working with. So we're really excited for that new build. I'm actually going to, um, I'm actually going to be posting some stories about that here, uh, here coming up on social media in the next few weeks. So now that I kind of got the go ahead, uh, to, uh, to post some things, but, awesome. uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're a young company. We like to have a lot of fun. Um, we've got a, a good team, a good group. We like to have fun, but, um, we like what we do. And I think that that really kind of resonates, uh, with the, with the team that we have in our office. Well, where can our listeners find you? They can find us on our website at uh, tankersleybuildsplural.com or at uh, our Instagram, which is tankersley underscore construction. And we feature feature a lot of our construction um, projects on there. A lot of our kind of office banter and, and humor. Try to We try to keep it real with, uh, with what's going on. But, uh, you know, we also like to focus uh, on a lot of cool projects and cool things to get to do. Well, we're excited to follow along. Heather, thank you again for making time. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, Give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.